Something's wrong. She's been cursed. Christina will help Dave. For me. You can't trust her. Every step to my ascension has been meticulously planned out. Can you remove it? On one condition. Promise me you won't hurt my sister. There's no making this right. I have no idea what you're walking into. Hello. Welcome to Lovecraft Country Companion. I'm Ambrose. And I'm Kelly. This week we'll be breaking down the ninth episode, Rewind 1921. So, this week's episode was directed by Jeffrey Nachmanoff. Some of his television directing credits include The Passage, Chicago Fire, Hostages, and Homeland. Opening scene we find Tick, Letty, Montrose, and Ruby gathered around a supernaturally ill D, arguing about who's to blame and how to get Christina to help. Next, we get the opening title graphic, and it depicts someone burning in flames and a book, of course, which we later learn is Atticus's great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother and the book of names. So back to the opening scene. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about who's most to blame for Dee's predicament? Well, my my first thing that I have written down here is like um, Ruby. Ruby says, you know, basically, you all are to blame. You know, you right. all are to blame. And I was like, boo boo, don't leave you, don't leave yourself out of that number, Ruby. <laughs> that you know, like that line should be, we are all what, to blame. What part did you you felt Ruby played in uh, Dee's demise? Okay, so if um, if Hippolyta has left me in charge of her child and that child goes missing, right? She said, I'm going to stay here in line just in case she comes back. She stays in line. She goes through the church and does all of that. I'm not just going to leave. Like, I'm not just going to leave and go to my, my boyfriend's house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm going to okay. be looking. I'm gonna be looking for for D until I find her. For the simple fact oh, that so when, she did, she left. She left in mid crisis, huh? To look for a boyfriend, huh? No, I mean she she said that she was gonna stay in the line, and she stayed in that line, and she went through the church and did whatever. But then she just went on about her business as if D was not still missing. We don't see Ruby continuing to look for D. Like I know that that the mother has left this child, you know, in my charge. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be crazy. I'm going to be yes. frantic until I find her. Okay. You know what I mean? So so clearly there's enough blame to go around. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what they say? You point one finger at somebody else. The other four, what? <laughs> the other three are pointing at you, back at you, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I also thought that um, uh, while they may have, like, removed her voice, you know, this, this – um, this curse or whatever, it mm-hmm. didn't remove her art, right? And her right. using the art to tell um, a story or shine a light on that which is invisible is very much like this show. So, so using art message, 
Yeah. Message. Yeah. So like uh, D, I just thought that that was great. And um, and then the last thing I was like, Letty lies with a quickness, does she not? Like, you know, um, Christina asks, you know, what happened to Lancaster? And Letty was just like, gas explosion. There was a gas explosion in front of my house. She didn't that, even. But didn't, 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 I mean, the car, because I wondered, did you know that Lancaster was still alive? I thought he was there too uh, by the last episode because that one, didn't one of the cars explode? And we saw somebody fly. Yeah, well, the, the, the car exploded, right? But there was a reason. There, there was a lot of things that happened that okay. led up to that car exploding. Right. I, well, I didn't read that as an overt lie. It's just like, you know, that's a lot. The bottom line is, you know, we, he did. You know what I mean? We're not trying to get into all the particulars. But, okay. I, but I, feel, I mean, you can, you can make a case for her. I didn't necessarily read that as, like, willfully lying. I just thought that was like, well, you know, yeah, he's dead, so. Sure. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Anything in there? Um, as far as Christina's, you know, to the rescue. Um, is that is that what you're talking about? No, I mean in this thing we're talking about in the in the code open. Did you have any? Um, no. Well, you had mentioned Christina. I guess she wasn't there yet in the part I was talking about. So I didn't know if we had moved on. But oh. um, nope. That's pretty much it. Just um. Yeah, I agree that they're all uh, to blame. Cool. So then we we um, after our title card, um, we go on to what I'm calling nine lives, and so this is uh, that William um, William lets Lancaster know that his demise is at hand. Right. And, um, so did you have anything for once we get to Williams? I mean, to um, to Lancaster's office, and we see all that's happening there. Um, I just think about Tick's line, um, sweet revenge. I don't remember what episode that was, but uh, oh. I do remember it, it was a, a little soundbite from one of the um, the trailers for an episode, and just, you know, sweet revenge. And, and William um, slash Christina looks very satisfied. Sure. Yeah, and uh, whatever Ruby planted, um, I, it looks as though it reverses the curse that they had in place, which makes his wounds from his last life-threatening incident regenerate, right, mm. resulting in death. And 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 this, I guess, this helped us get some information about you know, because when we first see him, we're like, what's up with his chest and. Right. What are all of these things? And so it seems as though whenever he gets into some sort of peril, he just fixes himself by taking body parts um, from from other people. And it and no, not from other people. I know, from black I got people. it. And that so that <laughs> so then my next question, not from other people, from black people. My next my next question is: Did they use black bodies because they saw them as expendable, or some other reason? Yeah, I would. My immediate um, thought would be because they are expendable, right? You know, a, a missing white person, you know, that's probably going to bring more attention, right? And um, yeah. but you know, black people go. I mean, it's just like I mean, let's be frank. That a lot of things that occur even now that um, you know certain groups might get more attention than others, right? As far as when, when, when they go missing. Sure. So. Yeah. So, okay. So then the next, the next thing, um, 
Next one we have, I'm calling this Drowning Sorrows. Montrose reveals another truth to Tick and Hippolyta returns. Um, and then, of course, we go into Restoration, which is Christina leads a spell that resets the clock on Dee's curse. So for either of those two, did you have any thoughts? Well, did you have any thoughts on those? Are you... you good. Wait so... Tick in a scene, um, and I didn't have mine as artfully named as yours in my notes. It was just Tick and Montrose have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Why you got to be hating on my title. No, Don't no, do that. No, I'm just, I'm just recognizing, you know, you're artful not only in your your, your uh, conversation, but in your notes as well. I mean, yeah. it's like, okay. <laughs> so Tick starts off reassuring Montrose um, about protecting the family and, and you know, Reassuring him, you know, he telling him that he helped cast a spell that saved him, you know, kind of building him up. And then the reversal that occurs um, at the revelation, right? <laughs> um, and his immediate, the first thing he says when he finds out George might be his real father is that, you know, mama cheated on you with Uncle George and, and he's, he, you know, he's hurt. Yeah. But... And then he's talking about how he'd wish George had been his real father uh, when he was seeking refuge from Montrose's beatings. What what do you think he was most hurt by? Was it the thought of his mother not being who he thought she was or or the fact that George allowed him to suffer knowing he might have actually been his father? Yeah, I think it's I think. As people sitting on the outside, we can go through and be like, gosh, which hurts more? But I think like when you're in the in the midst of like learning all of these things, all of these things are are happening all at once. You know, I mean, things are occurring to you. Someone is saying words. And at the point that you kind of realize what's happening, then sometimes all the words they say after you your realization can be like, want, 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 want like there's because then your internal emotions take over and everything is happening at once. It's like this, and then it's like this, and then it's like, you know what I mean? It just goes higher and higher. Um, so which hurts more, it almost doesn't matter. It, it's all just coming. It's a barrage of truth. And, and, and those things, it's like a million paper cuts, right? How do right. I determine which one hurt more? I don't, I don't, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah. I also i th- I thought it was interesting his his response and being like, you know, we went through this really traumatic thing together. That makes us that's a that's a bond you can't really break. But his his question was, did he cheat on you? You know, did she cheat on you? Um, he doesn't really answer that. And I was like, well, what was the nature of this relationship? You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, maybe they had an understanding. Maybe it yeah. was yeah. 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 Yeah, that was it. And there there's some the reason they're gonna you know, more on that later. There's a conversation that occurs towards the uh the latter part of the episode that illuminates okay. some additional things in terms of Montrose, his identity and what you know tick might represent him beyond being, you know, his blood or you know, his son. Yeah. Um but more on that later. Okay. Cool. So anything for restoration? 
Um, nope. When they're in? Cool. Okay, so appeals. This is I'm calling appeals. Both sisters try to appeal to the other's good sense. And this is when they're outside. Um, I, I thought... I thought. Oh, wait a minute. Was, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Yep. Does restoration include the uh, Christina saving yep. D? Yep. Christina okay. leads a spell that resets okay. the clock on Dex Okay. Okay. <laughs> I did have a question for you. Cool. Why do you think D was turning into Topsy or, you know, the malevolent malevolent pickaninny um does that is that a commentary on what happens to our young girls if they're neglected because obviously and we, we made a point about that previous episode about how neglect how a d had been neglected um and kind of fell through the cracks so is the fact that she's turning into to the thing that was kind of tormenting her and in the form of that thing in and of itself um I mean, what, like, what does the Piccaninny represent? Um, my initial, you know, read was like contemporary example. There's a lot of criticism that we heap upon young people today based on the activities um, that they engage in on social media, right? And oftentimes you'll hear older people protest the unflattering representations that they see, you know, in social media, is this also a consequence of neglect? In other words, should we not be actively seeking a solution instead of condemning the symptoms of a greater problem? You know, would D, if the form she's taking, you know, you know, I guess it represents like a negative representation of, of black children, you know, was how the Piccaninny, I mean, that was the, the literal def definition of it. And so that's the form she's taking. So some of the criticisms today um, that we might have about some of the things we see on social media that young people engage in that we might not necessarily approve of because of, of you know, the negative representation. Whereas with D, they're trying to actively seek a solution and fix the problem. But nowadays we don't hear too much discussion about that. We just kind of condemn what the young people are doing instead of examining What's the root cause and how do we fix that? Well, I mean, I I wish I had a better answer. But I, I, I think that there is something to be said about, you know, the older generation absolutely um, sitting in judgment of of things. Just for one, it's just it's just the thing. Like that's that every every older generation does that of a younger generation. There's not a younger generation that has escaped an older generation being like, you don't know what it was like in my day when I walked for three miles in the snow with bare feet, right? Um, and so the older generation always sees itself as golden or better, right? Um, but I also think some of that also comes from just not knowing social media or like all of these things does seem like an unknown element to a lot of older, you know, people. And so then it's easy, just the same way that hip hop seemed like, you know, a, a bastion of, of horrible things from, from our, our, you know, our older parents perspective dealing with us. So um, why she is turning into this, I, I think, I think that something you had said last week is true that um, kind of like um, 
it's like her fears, like whatever the fears are for the for the person that that's what this curse brings brings about. Um, but I don't know. I mean, it could be it could very much well be as a result of that, which, you know, as a result of, of neglect. Um, but I, I think it's interesting because all of this stuff is still a result of the white gaze. <laughs> Right. You know, I mean, black children being neglected or, or different things like that. The piccaninny is not something we created. You know right. what I mean? Um, so I don't know. I'd have to think some more on that. Okay. That's my final answer. <laughs> did, 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 you, did, did you catch um, when Ruby was leaving with Christina and chastising Letty for foolishly uh, being in her feelings about Tick? Yeah, that's what I call you know appeals. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so she was she was being um, unaware of her own hypocrisy in that moment, I guess is what I wanted to focus in on. She was just very ironic that she's chastising Letty uh, for, for something that I feel like she's engaged in when it comes to Christina slash William. Yeah, I have here... Um, is this is her quote? If you would just open your eyes and get out of your feelings, and I was like, "Isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? Like, right. is that really what we're doing? <laughs> Everything you're saying are things that you should actually be saying to yourself." Um, and so, when Ruby fails to realize what Ruby fails to realize, and my assertion is that Christina doesn't do anything without getting something first, and that isn't care, right? And so. They're basically helping, they're asking Christina to help D, right? And she's like, on one condition. It's like, all right, ma'am. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's just, it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. So then we go to what I'm calling the plan. And this is Hippolyte takes charge. Um I think like in the very beginning, you can kind of see that Hippolyta is growing weary of them. Like, like she has all these questions, right? And then you even see her doing what she did when she was in the all white room. It's like the answers that they're telling her, she's going through it in her head. Like she's saying them internally and trying to put piece things together. And then Montrose starts with, you know, sounds like you're crazy, right? And you see her like... Get her little self together before she responds, telling her, you know, telling him basically why she is, um, why she is qualified to steer this ship. (laughs) Um, So do you have any thoughts? Yeah, yeah, I have a few things. But what we're talking about Montrose, (laughs) the fact that Montrose is questioning Hippolyta's sanity after hearing her story, it doesn't really track for me, given his knowledge about Tick's time travel, right? And everything else that's transpired this season, it's like, bruh, after all <laughs> the things you've, you've witnessed, you know, and the fact that your son, you know, you know, he would just jump through time and whatnot. This, 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 you know, what's so crazy about what Hippolyta is talking about, given everything else that's going on? You know what I think he's trying to say is crazy when she's saying they need to go back to, to, to Tulsa. Mm. that's what Uh. seems crazy to him because he's like oh we're not going back there (laughs) you know what i mean like i think that that again here's montrose operating from fear right sure it's been recurrent throughout the entire um season another thing um is hippolyta corrects tick about 
it, it being a time machine. She she points out it's, it's a, multiverse. a multiverse machine, right? Right. And so clearly that that matters. Why why do you think um this distinction matters story-wise? Do you have any theories as to why they want to be clear on, you know, this is not time travel, this is multiverse? Why well, I just think multiverse is better. <laughs> I mean, but, but, you know, even later when this is later, but, you know, she's, she's talking about the fact that it's, there are so many different iterations of these lives out there. What did she say? Something like 90. She says it's 60 trillion. Okay, great. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. 60 trillion um, universes or whatever. Yeah. 60, yeah. 60 trillion. That's, that's a lot. Right. right. Um, and so. I just think that it also goes to, and it comes up a little later, but I also think it goes to why that machine, even that machine isn't enough. You know, when they went through, it just took them wherever, right? But right. she needed to be the motherboard. She, you need to be the motherboard, right? And so Which I think is that that's, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. it is interesting. But yeah, so to stay in this scene, um, 200 years is a long time, right? And you can On acquire a. Yeah, on Earth 504, and you can acquire a lot of knowledge in that time. So time there is different than it is here. Um, you know, she was there for 200 years. We, what, a week went by or maybe a couple of days or whichever. So um, shout out to Octavia Butler's Kindred, which uses the same con concept, right? Except she's going into the past. So I just, I just thought that that was um, interesting, you know, Time there versus time here. Um, and then, of course, you know, we, we get our get in the effing car, <laughs> which is a, kind of a call back to Letty and, you know, telling George and Tick the same thing in Devon County. And I'm wondering if Hippolyta drives, probably. But, you know, it's just like circular storytelling. <laughs> hmm. uh, but, yeah, those are my thoughts. Good, good. Yep. Next scene. All right, so I'm calling this the love below. Don't ask me why. I was oh in my, my I was in my outcast mode. <laughs> um, but Christina and Ruby uh, reveal Adele. ultimate goals. Okay, is right. Adele, come with us, Adele. Yeah, this is where we are down. We are down okay. in the basement. I eat the love below. See, it's the below. love below. See how I'm doing that? You get it? I'm so 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 there's love there. <laughs> so you acknowledge that there's love there because before you were very experienced when I would imply that Christina had interest in Ruby beyond. Simple manipulation. You I am talking about. Prejudice. I am talking. So it's going to be in my analysis, first of all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, always I'm, trying. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm ready. You know what I'm saying? Say, stay ready, sir. Okay, yeah. So, um, but what I'm talking about is kind of like their love of what they want. Um, but okay, so yes, I just wanted to start out with yes. Um, props to visual storytelling in this scene. Ruby is holding cards. A deck of cards, right? Are these two playing a game, poker maybe? And in poker, you need a good poker face. So could there be more happening here than what meets the eye? Um, Christina wants immortality to experience it all and eternity at first. I just yeah. want to put this up here for my first theories, folks. You know what? Did, did you get that from the book? Was that in the book? No. That was okay. not in the book. Okay, I, so hold on. Let me. Okay, then let me take a moment and, get, and make sure you get all your internet points for that. Your theory <laughs> first, because I, I actually had a note about that. I was like, uh, there's a moment I mean, she said that. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, eternity of first. Kudos to Kelly and her theory. 
Well, you know what? I really can't take any points because it's not like I had a theory. I was just like, what is all this first about? Does anybody know what these firsts are about? Yeah. I had no like idea. But, but no, was. but no, you you laid it out because I mean, and she even talked about like, you know, she wanted to there's a difference between her pursuit of immortality as opposed to the men, right? And, uh-huh. and for her, it literally she wants to she wants an eternity of first. Just just like when that uh Shagath. Did I finally get it right? Remember when that Shagath was born? Yeah. And it was like, us your first time? Like, yeah. the way she relished in everything when, when she was playing hide and seek with those kids, right? Awkwardly. Yes. Because it was the first time. Like, she, she that's, you know, I mean, yeah. you, you, you nailed it. Yeah, but what I, what I will say is everything's good in the beginning. <laughs> okay? And so the same way, you know, she is talking about her... Uh, father and all the men and how they just talk about these things almost like they're transactional. And what I would say is that she's she's doing the same thing to a degree, right? It's still about, Christina, it's still about oh. consumption. It's still about, it's not like she's running out there playing hide and go seek every day. And what I would say is that Ruby is a first for Christina too. But to what end? And at what point will she tire of that? Um I, I don't know. I mean, I maybe well, I'm it. just... Yeah. I'm sorry. You yeah. saw how she checked Ruby, right? She's like, hey, I'm not using you. I'm not your mama. I'm not your sister. Yeah, I saw her. Uh, I know. saw her. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> You're not impressed. You're like, nah, it's false. I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so Ruby... And then when I, when I think about Ruby, it's like Ruby goes from inquiring about, um, about Dell... You know, or no, Ruby goes from inquiring about Tick to settling on a promise of protection for Letty. Also, Ruby starts out inquiring about Dell and ends killing her for an upgrade. Yeah, so. Man, okay. So that's what I'm saying. It's like the love below is really about the love of what these these women want. So. Not necessarily what's right. So, and I'm like, damn. Like, uh-huh. I understand she's never really been fond of Tick, but damn, what did Tick do? Like, did they earn that? Like, what has the um, has the narrative effectively built the case for her to have such disregard for for Tick? Like, we there are a lot of things that occur throughout the episode that is unbeknownst to her. She's not present for it, and presumably, sure. Letty hadn't had conversations about about it to her so what what do you think this comes from um i I don't know has the narrative done a a good job of effectively building the case for her to you know be like basically middle finger tick like he can die i don't care well i i think that um i think that ruby may be a little bit more like christina than we we want to we want to admit um and birds of a feather and whether it's, whether it's, you know, yeah. I, I just think that there's a transference happening or either this is who she was all the time. We can also go back to thinking about when we were at that um, house party, you know, she really does have a, here's what we need to do. And here's why we don't have the things that we should have because we're not doing what we need to do. Right. And so I just think that there's a part of Ruby I've said from the very beginning that Christina and Ruby are on parallel lines and that there are a lot of commonalities. And so maybe we're seeing those things come out. You know, all that my poker theory here is that I hope both of these women have ulterior motives. 
Ruby specifically, because I'm just hoping that she comes to the to the right side. So <laughs> just concerned. You feel like so I, so it's. It, so has a Ruby officially broke bad or was she always this person to begin with and everything else has just really been game? I think Ruby's, there are some things that I see with Ruby that's just, that's problematic, right? Um, uh, but I'm still hoping that she makes the right decision in the end. Well, she just marked, and, the, and the one, did you know um, that the transformation spell worked with, like, I didn't realize that Dell was comatose, you know, until this, episode in this scene mm-hmm. i just presume she was dead like william had so did you always always have the understanding that she could create you know using the blood she could create this magic trans you know transformation spell magic potion what have you from a living person or did you know that were you aware of that i i i thought that you know they they were required to be dead so i didn't i didn't recognize that or i was surprised yeah, but when you're when you're little. when you're in when you're in a coma you can be um, technically dead. So, so like, like they, you know, they can say there's no brain activity. Right. It's, it's why it's like, you know, it can come, come to whether we're going to cut this cord or not. So did you think she was, so you knew she was comatose or did you think she was dead? Like I did. I think that, I think that you can be in coma and be dead. Like, I, okay. I guess what I'm asking is, so your understanding was, was, was she dead? Like William dead or you thought she was in some type of stasis or, or comatose state? No, I thought they were all dead. Okay. Yeah. And I wonder if that'll somehow, I don't know, come to play. Maybe in the we got one more episode. episode. We got we got we got large fish to fry. I don't know what's going to come to play, but I'm not worried about this storyline. I think they're going. Well, it's not about storyline. This is more about the information. Like I, yeah, like the rules of the game maybe have changed or not what I thought they were with regards to transformation. I thought the requirement was that they're dead, and if not, then it opens up possibilities for, you know. And dead, dead in what sense, right? Because even the chief said, like when, when, um, what's her name? When D ran out of that episode after spitting on him, right? D was like, I mean, the chief was like, or Lancaster was like, I'm not going to worry about her. She's already dead. And we see her walking out, right? And when, when she's here on this bed, we see maggots and flies and all kinds of things come out of her. So, so the rules of the game may be that dead and living are very close. This necrom this necromancy or 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 whichever, like the way we're thinking about dead and the way that they have dead may be two different things. That's that's possible. Or yeah. I mean, again, you know, I thought maybe he's saying like she's already dead. Don't even bother. I mean, her her, her fate is already sealed. Mm-hmm. But be that be that as it may, um, even when speaking of which, her fate. Talking about his fate. When um, Christina tells Ruby that Atticus is basically Atticus' fate was was preordained, uh, the only variable was time and you. So she hadn't accounted for um, like no matter what was going to happen, Atticus was going you know meet the end that he meets. You know she had accounted for everything. She had meticulously planned everything, but you know mm-hmm. variables were time and you. Uh, in that instance, being Ruby, so game, or you know, authentic confirmation of like you know, I wasn't expecting to meet you, and you know, sure. you, I mean, does she have feels for Ruby after all? Yes or no? In your opinion? Yeah, I, I, I nope. 
So you still don't you don't buy I think she may even she may have feels and even she may think that she has feels. But I think that it doesn't really matter because what matters most to her is what she wants. Even if we were to put her feels on one side of the of the scale and what she wants on the other side of the scale, what she wants is going to be heavier. And so it doesn't matter. Well, I disagree with that. I'm, it may not matter as far as her actions, but it does matter in terms of, you know, the drama for a particular scene. It's one thing if this is all manipulation, she doesn't care. Right. But if she has to do something that hurts Ruby, then the scene is going to play differently. Because if you if I care about you and, 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 and do you dirty or stab you in the back, it's different than if I've never cared about you and I stab you in the back. Now, in both instances, you're stabbed in the back. But the dramatic weight from that. Right. The the the. Sense of I'll betrayal tell you who, or the pain. Yeah, I'll tell you who it's not different to, the person being stabbed. And so on that note, <laughs> and, you know, that's that's what I'm saying. I'm saying from the perspective of where I'm at, and I'm on the perspective of Ruby, I'm team Ruby, the result is the same, which is why I can't go through the semantics of does she care or does she not care because I know right. she cares about this more. Okay. All right, well... We can we can proceed again. Yes. I, I think we're talking about you know not necessarily the same thing uh, about the it's results, fine. but more, more about the the impact of the dramatic impact or how I'll feel as an audience member. Uh, but next scene. Yes, observatory. The family readies themselves for the journey ahead. So apparently, Mayfield is in Kentucky, not Kansas. Whatever, which would make its time travel. Yeah, you were wrong. It doesn't no, matter. I'm wrong. Yeah, so well, yeah. let's be clear. <laughs> they show her in a car with a map of Kansas, but it's fine. It's fine. So, uh, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, isn't that adjacent to Kentucky? Like, it's right? in the same whatever, but you know, seven hours and two hours and fifty nine minutes is a difference. So either way, um. The prospect of returning to Tulsa is making Montrose, Montrose's haunts more persistent, right? So we're seeing that they're coming more frequently, and he's, you know, using that clutch into that one little uh, mason jar of alcohol. <laughs> what is that floating inside the, the, the jar? Did you? Oh, you, I didn't see it. There was something there's, floating? There, no, there's something in there because the, 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 the alcohol was clear, but then there was something inside of it kind of floating around. I was like, damn, is he drinking like... Okay, I, well, I, I have to go back and look at it. Yeah. Okay. I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah. So um, Hippolyta becomes the brain of the machine, right? Um, and this operation. So the motherboard which is what she's saying she will become. The motherboard serves as a single platform to connect all of the parts of a computer together. It connects all of the parts directly or via cables, and it can be considered the backbone of a computer. Now, I don't know if this is intentional, but her dress looks like an array of cables and circuits. Did you see that? The dress part, no. Um, so her dress, the 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 um the the different kind of like the I don't know the. What she has going on in the dress in terms of the fashion or the different stuff, it looks like cables. Okay. And it's like all these different. So I was like, oh, that's great you, storytelling. You know why it's called a motherboard, not a, like a fatherboard? No, you tell me. <laughs> um, did, I don't, I mean, so funny enough, I thought that might be worth uh, Googling and whatnot, even though, you know, I have a background in technology, right. information technology. There's there's no clearly defined um, there's not there's no universal agreement with 
uh, the naming. It originally was called the main board, uh-huh. uh, sort of the brains of a computer. But the motherboard um, is so named because, you know, you plug, while it's, you can plug things into it, sort of like the female, you know, anatomy, like something is being inserted or connected to it. Uh-huh. And whereas, I guess, you know, if it were a fatherboard, it wouldn't necessarily fit. From from that perspective, yeah, I'm going to say that it's motherboard because mothers are better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then there's, and then there's that you know to know a lot. <laughs> there were a lot of people, presumably mothers, who uh, <laughs> who asserted the same reason as far as, as, not, as not ID. But you yeah. know, you know, you know the uh, a, a separate card that you attach to the motherboard. You know what that's called, right? What is that called? It's called a daughter board. Oh, so so, so interesting. I mean. Mater- yeah. Yes. So. Matriarchal. Cool. Um, so also so many secrets bubbling to the surface, right? But they're in different pots. And who has access to those pots is like, you know, like all this stuff that's going on between Montrose and um and uh Letty. Like all the secrets that are coming through and who they think those secrets came from and what they're learning. I was just like, this is great. How does she know? She she, she so she goes to to reveal or attempts to reveal the fact that she's pregnant, and obviously right. I already knows he stops her. But then she says, "It's a boy." Um, I'm sorry, what did I miss? How does she know it's because a boy? Because he said he said um, he was like, "What you what you shared with Christina uh, basically could have been the you know the demise of my son could could end up being the demise of my son, and you'll know when you have." You're, you know, when you have your own son or when you, he said something to the effect of right. like, you know, I'm talking about my son and you'll know when your son gets here, basically. Ah. And so, so she's she like, boy, she was reacting yeah, to that. She's okay. reacting to the fact okay. that he slipped uh, what the gender uh, is. Okay. I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was really good. Um, the mother um, so the mother is the motherboard and like all good mothers, she, she lays down the law, whatever y'all got going on squash that right she's basically telling them before they go through to keep their eyes on the prize um uh, so yeah which, which guaranteed that they absolutely were not going to do that i know because they get there the first thing they do <laughs> first thing they do <laughs> oh it, just like when mama tell you don't do something boy that's the Listen, first thing you do i was like hippolyte they not listening they not listening you over here being the motherboard and they are not listening. Um, cool. So then we we have moved on to what I'm calling not in Kentucky anymore. Um, they jump to the past uh, and play the part. Uh, so this is is underscored by Avalon, by Al Jolson. Um, Al Jolson was an American singer, um, comedian, and actor who was dubbed the king of blackface performers, a theatrical convention of darkening the skin with burnt cork or makeup since the mid-19th century, most often employed by white in- uh, entertainers to perform derogatory characters of blackness. Hold on, pause, pause for a second. Did you say with burnt pork? Burnt cork. Oh, cork. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the cork <laughs> like, that goes... Okay, I got you. I, got you. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Okay. No, yeah. So, um, in the 1920s, Jolson was America's most famous and highest paid entertainer uh, by doing blackface. Um, some of the lyrics for this song we're listening to 
I found my love in Avalon beside the bay. I left my love in Avalon and I sailed away. I dream of her in Avalon from dusk till dawn. So I think I'll travel on to Avalon. And as the night is falling, I find that I'm recalling that blissful and enthralling day. And I feel like if we took Avalon out and put Tulsa in um, and switched her with him, that this would very much be like what we've kind of been seeing uh, Montrose wrestle with, mm-hmm. right? Um, in terms of coming back or not coming back or or this has been haunting him, this space. So, um, yeah. Do you have any thoughts? Um... So was that it for this uh, for that that scene? Um, did you have any, anything? This more? is like them coming. Yeah, I have more. But do you have any? Okay, not not for that part. Okay. Um. So there's also I feel like there's like this performative nature of trying to put blackness on like a second skin, resulting in astronomical success for whites. Uh, when we think about um, Elvis. Hmm. Elvis. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, which certainly, certainly, you're, you're pretending that's a cough. Yeah, that's a pretend cough. <laughs> so, yeah, so so we, we have Al Jolson here, who is the highest paid performer in the 1920s for putting on blackface, right? Putting on blackness like it's a second skin. We have Lancaster, who is using black body parts to sustain his own life. We have further back, uh, when we were dealing with... Um, where Ruby was a white woman, Little Richard's Tutti Frutti versus Pat Boone's version of Tutti mm. Frutti, right? And so just this long history of um, it being not quite enough for us, but being just right for them, um, our stuff. And so also just as a, as a little FYI, if anybody wants to see the process of making uh, blackface or making that, that material in Spike Lee's Bamboozled, there's a scene where you see the whole process of them making the substance that you use to darken the face. Um, so when we're here, we learn about Booker T. Washington School. Yes. Which is, was, yeah. It's, it's Go ahead. I have no, 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 no. I was just saying, I, um, I was hoping we would get to, because uh, it's almost a throwaway line about the prom being yeah. canceled at Booker T. Washington School. And aside from the fact of, you know, Booker T. Washington being historically black, school for you know in most areas throughout the country but yeah uh, his his you know his importance i guess to the scene uh to the to the overall show and the um did you want to yeah booker booker t washington is a is a huge figure um right but uh this this particular school booker t washington school oklahoma statehood brought about segregated schools for african-american children of course booker t washington high school was founded in 1931 with a class of 14 students and a staff of two teachers. And the original school building was at the corner of Elgin Avenue and Easton Street in the Greenwood District of Tulsa. So by the 1920s, the four-room high school had been replaced by a three-story brick building in the 20s, right? Um, And this continued to operate for three decades. And so this school has a unique connection to the massacre, because I'm not going to, the massacre instead of riot, right? We have to, we want to change, change our language. 
Um, it was the only public building to survive the fire that swept through Greenwood on the morning of June the 1st, 1921. And through that summer, the Red Cross used it as a headquarters. headquarters. Um, and when the heavy rains fall, fell, a lot of these Greenwood residents had lost their homes and were living in tents and used it as a makeshift place and took refuge there. So it's a big, it's a big, you know, a big part of their community and is still an operating school to this day. Um, yeah. So just, just to add a little bit, um, onto that, I guess the discussion of Bigger T Washington. Yeah. And if you, and if you haven't, I would encourage you to, to dig in and deep more. He's, he's really, uh, up from slavery, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, so Washington, in fact, he was, um, I think he was a he was a last generation of black American leaders born into slavery, mm -hmm. yeah, and he became the you know leading voice for slaves and their descendants. But in particular, he called for black progress through education and entrepreneurship, yeah, rather than directly trying to go at Jim Crow head on. And you know, you mentioned the Greenwood District, which was. I think he he famously quoted it uh, as the Black Wall Street. Oh, cool. Um, very prominent. Um, as you can see, when they first arrived yeah. to the past, how amazed they were at the sight of all this Black affluence. Yeah, and as they were amazed, I too was amazed. Like, it's it, quite quite beautiful it's be yeah, to just, be able you know, to go and visit it through their eyes and through this. Yeah. And one of the criticisms... Um, and so, you know, and Booker T. Washington was very accomplished. And one of the criticisms um, after his death was that he, they accused him of being, you know, an, of accommodationism mm -hmm. uh, to white supremacy. In other words, you know, even though, despite all of his his accomplishments and, and, and the fact that he was preaching, um, you know, education, entrepreneurship, and whatnot, rather than trying to challenge sort of the Jim Crow status quo, really as a matter of strategy, not not as a, and, you know, and, and, and later um, more people became aware that, no, you know, he was a skilled politician as well, and that he would do things um, perhaps not openly, but he would, you know, push for legislation and things that, that you know, were to the were for the benefit of his people and that were anti segregation, but he was very st strategic about his approach, and uh, and it was sort of like some of the same criticisms that um like you know during the civil rights era, and you had people that followed Martin Luther King's philosophy, and then you had people that followed Malcolm X. So so you know some similar criticisms were levied upon him. Yeah, um, I mean he had his his scope was agriculture. Right. And so these were uh, people who, you know, Tuskegee Institute, a lot of different things. These were people who were leaving the South because of terror. What she helped, what she, since we mentioned, he, uh, he, he was one of the co-founders, right? Of, of Tuskegee Institute? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so, you know, they're leaving the South and, and going to the, to the North. And so they're going, they're, they're leaving agriculture and going to industry. And so a lot of the things that he was talking about, and when, and when you talk about uh, Malcolm X and, and uh, Martin, for his time period would have been 
Booker T. Washington on this side and Du Bois on the other. Yes. And so there's there's a huge Du Bois um, and Washington debate, and I would say get into that. There's loads, um, loads of research and 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 loads of um, source material on that. Um, it's really quite quite interesting, and so do that because it's it's really great history. Uh, did you have something else we could do? No, that was that was it. I just Yay. wanted to, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So um, I'm calling this next thing Memory Lane. Montrose narrates the past and es- escapes to rectify it. And Tick and Letty split up to pursue their missions. Um, it's interesting here. Uh, you know, there's a lot that happens in in these two couple of scenes. But uh, Dora basically indicts George in the same way that Tick does or Tick will outside of Marvin's house. Right. It's like, you know. Same but different. You know, the whole thing of just like, why aren't you looking out for your brother? And Tick being like, you know, why aren't you looking out for me? <laughs> right. Um, just uh, taking care of the lesser uh, person. Well, and also, I mean, if, you know, with Tick's paternity in question, mm-hmm. you know, why didn't he look out for Tick as well? Right. When George or when Montrose was beating him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Tick asks him that oh. outside of like I'm being he's being well, no, indicted, George. No, 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 no. Uh, well, uh, Tick asks uh, Montrose about George. Why didn't he? I'm talking about George Tick asks was George. Tick asks George. So in this scene, Dora is indicting George. Like, why what? aren't you taking care of your brother in the same way that Tick uh-huh. will later indict him outside of Marvin's house and being like, why didn't you take care of me? He's saying. I should have taken better care of my brother. And Tick Oh, okay. You're talking about the episode, like, first episode, right? Or second episode? Yeah. yeah okay, okay, okay. The, when they yeah. had a conversation. Okay, now I got you. Okay. So I'm just talking about he's, you know, the, okay. the dual right. nature of the indictment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Um, just the fact we're not gonna talk about the fact that Letty hot wired a car from like the earlier twentieth century. Do it. Let's talk like about a it. When I'm just saying it's like okay, Letty just. I mean, it was that just. I don't know what they're trying to say about Letty. I know we she had a very um, storied past. I mean, <laughs> but I didn't know that hot wiring was part of her skill set. So yeah, she said that. It, I mean, they've talked about it before. That really hot wire. Uh huh. Yes. But from the, I guess the car, I don't know. I mean, I guess. The 1920s, I, don't, I wonder if, like, if the mechanisms of, of cars is still kind of the same in the 50s. When, it, when did they talk about her? They talk about her wiring it. Like, that was a prominent, that wasn't just like a little. So when, I they I were, when, they were, when they were in Artem, and he was like, and they were, it was like dusk, and they were um, coming back from finding, finding the, uh, what do you call it? that stone building and they're coming back and they're walking and she's, he's like, well, we're going to have to get out of here and we're going to need something faster than Woody. And she was like, uh, you know, I think she made reference to Christina's car and she, he, she was like, well, I can hotwire. He was like, oh, I knew you would. You know, there was something they okay. had, they talked that's, about. That, that's a nice cash girl. That was probably a little throwaway line for me that I didn't, <laughs> never even stuck. I mean, for you to dig back to the, like the second episode of the series they or something. They've talked like, about that. Yeah, they've talked you, about it. Yeah. Yeah, you better than, I mean, talk about it. They might have casually mentioned it, but okay. <laughs> if you figured out, you said they talked about it like it was, you know, I mean, that's, I'm saying that's a good catch on your part. I was like, whoa. 
Yeah. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, yeah. I, wouldn't, I, don't, I don't remember that. But. Cool. So um, the next thing is shoot to kill. Um, Letty is saved by Mr. Freeman um, and Dora's family. What do you got for this? Uh, actually, it's, he says, first you shoot to warn, then you shoot to kill. Yeah. Which I, I thought. At first. Oh, no, I, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Warning you to kill. You know, I wish, I wish everybody got the luxury of a warning shot. Listen, child, I tell you, um, this this like sequence, we kind of actually go back and forth, right between right, right. Freeman, Doris, yeah, the Freemans and and Montrose and Tick. Did we want to just tackle those? Like yeah, let's, separately. Let's just knock it out. No, that's, we can knock it out however you want to, you know. Yeah, I think do it. I kind of just did them separately. So okay. um, Letty is kind of caught between telling the truth or helpful lies, right? And so she tells the young girl um, when she goes to the back and she's sitting there, you know, the young girl is like, everything's going to be okay, right? And she's just I'm, like, yeah. I'm sorry, did you say helpful lies? I just wanted to be clear on that. Yes. So, so lies can be helpful. I'm it? saying for 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 this instance, mostly okay. here. Shut up. <laughs> also, because she cannot tell, she cannot change anything that happens here, and that's another mm-hmm. thing that you see that you see her kind of trying to grapple with. He's like, "Oh, well, what happened to you?" Or I "Tell see. us what happened." And she's like, she's trying to decide what she can tell them that's okay. not going to make them change what happens in this space. And therefore, what happens in the future? So sometimes, I guess, a lie is required. I guess to preserve the greater good is what you're. Saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying no. that Lay is caught <laughs> in between a rock and a hard place, and so. Okay. Just, and so you might have to lie when you're caught between a rock and a hard place. I don't know? think that that is how I would. Um, I'm saying that <laughs> Letty has decided for herself that this is what she needs to do to I get see. through it. I'm not saying whether it's right. What would, or what would Kelly do? What, what would Kelly do? <laughs> Kelly would could, would read what the next bullet point is, which uh, is um, she asks what happens. Um, yeah, so she's asking what happens, and she tells her what she feels, what Letty feels is a helpful truth or a hope-filled truth of the future, right? And so when we get up to, and here comes my favorite line of the of the seer of this episode. Um, Regina, you know, Taylor or or the the grandmother um here says faith turned to flesh, right? That that her grandson or that her great grandson or great great grandson? I don't know. I have to go back and look. Great great yeah, great great grandson. That her great great grandson would is going to be his birth is going to be her faith turned to flesh. And I was just like, Yes, Regina. <laughs> Yes, it's gonna, just a great. It's a great line. Are you going to break down the meaning? Faith turned to flesh. Can you break that is down? It, is it not implied? No. Well, just can you break it down? You know, everybody. Sure. I feel. I feel that that basically she has you know all these hopes and all these wants. It's just like we have that. What's that saying? That um, I am the I am the hope and the uh, you know of of my ancestors. Um, and that's is this is basically the same. It's saying the same thing, right? That she she has all of this faith, and she she understands now at this point that she's not going to live the, outlive this, because they've come back to get this book. So she knows that she won't 
she is expiring tonight, but her faith will go on and will live through her lineage. And this child is a part of that lineage. And so that that's basically what she's, I, I feel, that's basically what she's saying. Okay. You didn't have anything? Just that um, if this were, quote unquote, time-based and time-locked, and they've gone through great care to be clear that, hey, this is not about a time machine, it's a multiverse, and that, and even Hippolyta mentions that on, on this earth and this specific earth and time and whatnot, that so then I guess there'll be in different instances of oneself and not to get too, too deep into astrophysics and the implications of that. Um, she had like the, the, the girl, who was the girl that had the conversation with Letty about, um, that was Dora's sister, right? Yes. So that would have been, so she, she, she died that night, right? Yes. So presumably if great, if the great great grandmother made a different choice and chose to, you know, to save her family, uh-huh. that could have changed the future in a. It's not all bad, right? Because that would have been offspring. That would that would have been generations and you know people born from um, the root of Dora's sister. Right, but the butterfly effect is is such that you can't tell whether it's going to be a positive or a negative. And because and mostly because the universe the universe doesn't think in the same ways that we think. So they don't think positive or negative. They just it just is. But the but the fact that there are multiple universes there are different instances right. of them in different you know what I mean? No, I it's know, different. but yeah. this is the world you're in. Right. Like they're going to because they have a motherboard, they're going to go back exactly to, you know, things aren't to chance. So she's trying to, you know, do this for for this verse. Right. Um, This verse that she's in. She's in that that loop. Right. So that Letty stays and bears witness to the atrocity that she keeps the dying company, that she keeps her eyes open and bears witness, not looking away, refusing to run away. I think that that's really, really important. And, and it, it calls to question, like, what are we bearing witness to today? And then what are we doing about that which we see? All of these atrocities, all of these things that are happening around us all the time, are we staying? Are we keeping our eyes open? Are we staying engaged? And what are we doing about that which we see? It's like a question. Yeah, no. Um, I'm just thinking about the scene and how, um, you know, while she was burning and uh, what a horrific um, way to die. And how she just kind of stood there and made that choice. I can't imagine it in the moment. I mean, um, you're choosing your future family over your present family. Yeah, that's hard. Um, sacrifice. And um, like you, you pointed out, she's bearing witness. I mean, historically, the, the 1921 Tulsa race massacre, they uh, actively, I mean, that, that, that was almost lost to history. Um, they, they actively worked to erase. hide and erase, I guess, what actually occurred. And we're still un- uncovering uh, information in, in about uh, what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a deliberate thing. Uh, and though, you know, like you said, no, it might be painful. It was important for Letty to stand there and bear witness. Just like there are some certain aspects 
of our history, our past, that might be painful to look at, but it's important. And our present, right? And yeah, and, and, our, and our present. Our present. And well, our, our past is our present, right? The past is never really past, right? That wasn't one of the quotes um, throughout the, uh, the past isn't past. I think it's from Faulkner. Somebody used the quote at some point. Sure, but the past is also not the past because it just keeps happening. Like right, that's the, yeah, that's the same thing. Today, yeah. and, and, and we're still dealing with it. And so the question is, is, is what are we going to do? And um, who, des- who decides to, you know, keep their eyes open and who decides to close them? And what, what are the implications of both? Um, Regina Taylor was giving me everything in the scene. I want to bow down to the queendom. <laughs> That is her acting and 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 like the presence and the storytelling that get that she gives through the sequence is everything. And then of course, um, the crown jewel is Where's Your Fire by Sonia Sanchez. Um boy, that that was just beautiful. Um the catch, yeah, yeah, the, um, yeah catch, catch your fire, fire. catch your fire. Catch All right, that's right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just like it was everything. It was absolutely everything, and was right on time. Um, and I, I truly enjoyed uh, what it brought to the scene. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, those um, the words of the poem. I mean, were so. Um, I mean, you have simultaneous rage and hope mm-hmm. um, and just everything that reflects the black experience in America. Uh, and all the while listening to that while watching her burn. That was... Yeah. I mean, shout out to to um, Tamisha Green and to this story, uh, to Lovecraft Country for actually reminding us of these um, excellent texts that we have in our in our you know in our canon and our lineage, I think there's a lot of time that we're we're thinking about the Faulkners or we're thinking about the Shakespeare's and we're revering the John Dunns, and we don't stop to say Sonia Sanchez, genius, Amira Baraka, genius, um, you know even even Gil Scott Heron, genius, Jimmy Baldwin, genius, and so take the time out to revere them to uplift them the same way you uplift that because it is varied and it is a multitude. There's a whole world out there for you. And so um, don't just, don't just reach back into the canon that they tell you is the canon, you know, create your own canon, create your own curriculum. Um, Yeah. And you're going to have to do the work yourself. They're not going to give it to you. Sure. Sure. But that's good. That's fine. Yeah. Bill's character. So the next thing I'm calling uh, saving, which is uh, Montrose, um, Montrose and Tick, uh, of course, and and we're dealing with Montrose and Thomas. So did you have some things for that? Well, why don't you get into maybe what you want to say about it and then I'll piggyback because I don't know which part of the, you're talking about the Tick and Montrose and Thomas. Yeah. Would you put just, just all of that, that scene? Because I just did all of the other scene. Um, even though we go back and forth, right, right. Well, I'm saying I just wanted. To, I was just curious if you had any comments about the. Uh, There's the just a, a lot of cognitive dissonance um, okay. necessary for Montrose to go on from this moment, okay. and the havoc that it plays with him for the rest of his life. Right. So he's basically saying, 
I'm only remembering what this boy's name is right here in this moment because I had suppressed it. You know, talking this, about Thomas. Yeah, right. I had suppressed this this moment. I had I had erased it so that I could go on and become the man who is your father. Um, and that is deep. <laughs> so, so you believe Montrose is, um, when he, he gives his speech about, you know, he made sacrifices to be Tick's father, um, because men have sons and he presented it. I mean, it's, it's sort of a self-serving sacrifice. Like, do you buy Tick seemed to be moved by what he was hearing from Montrose. Um, do you take Montrose for his word? And, and I mean, basically, he's presenting it as if it was like a noble, purely altruistic uh, sacrifice. You know, saying like you were going to be my son because I, I wanted to be your father. That you know, everything and anything, everything I did, that was I wanted to be your father, as if it were about tick specifically um but i took it a little different did you so how did you take it well first how did you take it or what what what, how, what did you take from that speech i guess before i get into um because i don't i'm just curious of where you where you stood with with that i mean yeah i i took it at its word okay um I don't, without undermining uh, it entirely, I, di- I did feel it was a little disingenuous. And I felt that Tick was validation for Montrose's manhood and his desire for approval. Um, and that's understandable. You know, that's, that's a human, you know, emotion. But I don't like it being spun as if it was, you know, you know, a, a purely a noble gesture on his part because I don't, I don't think that's what it was. Um, so then what do you think it was? Well, I just told you it was for, he wanted validation. His validation. father, his father. Well, if you earlier, earlier when the young, younger version of Montrose and George after Montrose gotten beaten, uh, the father after having beaten Montrose stops and says to George, you know, I'm glad I'm not the only man in the house. Right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Machos has rest, wrestled with, a, you know, the concept of masculinity and what it is to be a man. Um, and, you know, his sexuality and and he, he clearly, I mean, that was a, that's a, was a struggle and continues to be a struggle for him. And that's why it was so important for, for him. I mean, he emphasized the fact that, you know, like men, men have sons. Well, why would you need to say, he didn't say men have daughters or men that are, what, in that moment, why, the fact that he em- emphasized that, you know, hey, m- men have sons. This is coming from Montrose now. Um, I think is further evidence that for him, I mean, that's, you know, that's the validation of his manhood, right? Men, men have sons. I, I, I need you, I need to be your father because, I need to be validated. I need to feel like, you know, a man. You know, I need to be approved of. Okay. <clears throat> Possibly. Not, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
you know, if it was just purely an act of altruism and, you know, just love because I just want to be a father, why would he, you know, why would he have need to have, have, have made mention about, well, men have sons? Why would that, why would that have been a point of emphasis? Mm-hmm. Or even a little bit of dialogue, right? They don't waste words and they, they add and pack on a lot to the show. The fact that his father stopped and told his brother George, you know, like, I'm glad I'm not the only man in the house. Like, obviously, he didn't think or see Montrose as a man, but he communicates to George, like, okay, I'm not alone. I have at least one other man here. I think those were deliberate um, choices and whatnot, and that's kind of how it aligns with me. Mm -hmm. But I understand if you see it differently. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a difference um, between um, the intellectual understanding and the emotional understanding. So Montrose um, is caught between saving or not saving Thomas, right? And you can see him truly struggle with that. And at the end of at the end of it all, Tick kind of leaves it up to him to be like, you know, to make a decision. And we can see that he he makes the decision, you know not to intervene, even though he truly wanted to. Um, And so also we see the same destructive word that he hurled at the one he loved was used by a loved one later to be hurled at him, right, with the F word, Um, and how he used it vehemently to deny his true feelings for for the boy Thomas standing in front of him, the same thing was used by Tick um, to deny whatever feelings he has for his father in the moment that they're in that hallway with Sammy, right? So the circular nature of that which you put out uh, will come back to you tenfold. Um, and, of course, he talks about how he never told anybody this part of the story and that it was a hidden truth, right, that they're there witnessing in the same way that this show unearthed so many truths for us all, right? Uh, the narrative that has existed since the beginning, right, when we were out there in that, in that um, battle or that war-like scene, and it's like, you know, I got you, kid. Like, that's that narrative that's been told over the history, over the years, right, and that we are now here in this space seeing that even that was revisionist history. Here's the rest of the story. Um, so just really interesting. Mm-hmm. Great. And so now we know that Tick is our guy, right? Tick is our guy with the... Circular storytelling, right. He's, um... Yeah. <laughs> you have the call back to the premiere episode, Jackie Robinson dream sequence, and it's Tick. Mm-hmm. Which which presents an interesting, you know, I won't say plot hole, but but um, analysis as far as how to interpret like uh, the consequences of time and actions, because obviously it's it's a loop, right? Tick is the one with the bat, right? Sure. So, you know, everything, all this has happened, right? And it's going to happen again, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but I think it was it was great for Tick because like even if Tick was not able to save George and Artem. He saved him before. Like, you've saved him even before you've known you've saved him. Right? Um, So that was a nice little thing. So then we move into white folks looting. That's what I'm calling this now. (laughs) 
This wow. next <laughs> that's what's happening, is it not? The white folks are looting. Uh. Um, <laughs> which no, this I, I have there's a method to my madness, right? So the white folks looting, Tick and Montrose escape back to Stratford, right? And this is also a call to um to Tick talking about, you know, when I went into the multiverse or whatever, I came out. All I saw was a bunch of white folks looting or, you know, rioting or whichever. Yeah, and rioting, someone yeah. pushed me. I have some theories about that, too. Go ahead. Someone gave me this book and pushed me back out. And so my thing is, if he went into the future, well, here in this place, right here in the past, we are seeing why white folks are looting. Right. And so what is happening in the future that they are looting again? Is it another well, Black Wall Street? Is well, he it, said rioting. Just to be, just to be clear. Rioting, great. Okay, rioting, great. <laughs> I'm gonna so say looting. Think, I'm gonna say looting because when we came, when we came no, to the frame, right? The no, no, the, I'm, not, I'm not talking. I'm not talking. I'm, t- I'm not talking about this episode. I'm talking about yeah. the previous episode when he was yeah. talking about you know what what he got the book and the the, the robotic arm pushed sure. him in. Uh-huh. White people were rioting, but um, go ahead. Yeah. Yes. Cool. So what do you do? What's your theory about uh, what? what the, I'm just uh, I'm just saying that you know, we all we all see why it is that white folks are looting in this place. 1921, black exceptionalism, black uh, independence, black self sustaining, right community. Uh, what is it that is causing looting in the future, and the cyclical nature of going through the same thing over and over again? Um, last week we saw the, the lynching of a boy. This week we're seeing the lynching of a town. Okay. Yep. Those are my thoughts. What were your thoughts for this portion? And this is to the end. Um, when you say to the end, including, uh, Hippolyta's transformation. Mm -hmm. So who at this point is Hippolyta no longer Hippolyta? Is she Arithia Blue? Like what? What? What do you? What did? What do you think her hair turning blue signified? Um, and she was floating above the machine uh-huh. uh, at one point. Like what did? What did you interpret that as far as its meaning? What I mean, I certainly about? saw it as you know Arithia Blue coming coming out or or being born or being transformed. So we will see what that means next week. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's it. Credits roll. That's it. Yeah. So they they ran back, right? Um, uh, of course, Montrose is there, and he's talking about all the names, and we're talking about Pegleg. Um, right. The people. Yeah. The okay. Yeah. The, the the people that he names and Pegleg Taylor, um, and this goes into uh, a storyline that's gone over from the beginning of the series about myth and mystery. Right. So Pegleg uh, is a gentleman who's who um, read like had a rebellion there at the at the at Tulsa. And he basically held off um, 
or picked off white folks all day long. And there's a, a whole, you know, story about what happened. And some people say he died there. Some people say he stayed, he lived 30 years beyond that. But there's also like Best Stringfield. There's also all of this like myth and mystery as to where she's actually from and how she kind of created a narrative for herself. And then talking about Sun Ra and what we saw in Hippolyta's um, episode. And so there's just this whole thing of, myth and mystery and narrative that the show is trying to go for. Also, um, the Stratford Hotel, which they are at, um, was like a crown jewel of the neighborhood. And at the time, it was the largest Black-owned, Black-operated, and Black-guest-only hotel in America. The structure house 54 modern living rooms, a gambling hall, a dining room, a saloon, and a pool hall. And jazz from the Stratford Hotel um, filled the streets of Greenwood. So that's just a little bit on like kind of where we're, we're at there. Yeah, so I can't believe this is the last, like next week is it. I know, it's an ultimate episode. We got one more. I know, so that's where we're at. Did um, you have any show notes? So... Um, well, in show news, um, Michael K. Williams recently appeared on The Breakfast Club. Did you happen to catch that? I didn't see it, no. Okay. Anyway, he he was there discussing uh, some of his current activism efforts. Nice. Um, lifting up impacted communities, communities of police reform. And he also dropped some knowledge about Lovecraft Country. So Nice. I know, I know Breakfast Club is available on different platforms, YouTube, iHeartRadio, um, podcast. So you might want to check it out. I'd like to hear more from Mr. Michael K. Williams. Mm-hmm. Did you have anything uh, black excellence this week that could that could uh, segue into black excellence? Sure. The, one of the things I'm going to put in show notes is um, I have two two articles. One about uh, the Tulsa race massacre, and then another about um, this 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 outro music that we're listening to, which is a an opera. That Lovecraft, you know, that the super the music supervisor for for Lovecraft um, birthed or created based off of Sonia Sanchez's um, poem. So yeah, no cinnamon, no cinnamon this week. Yeah, no cinnamon because we're we're listening to a piece of uh, opera that they that the show had commissioned for for this moment which was which was pretty cool. So um my black excellence things are just uh Brian Stevenson's Legacy Museum in Alabama. Uh this is this should have been a black excellence for last week, but uh you guys should check it out Brian Stevenson's Leg- Legacy Museum. It's it's really cool. Um and then there is a podcast called Black Wall Street 1921. It is curated by Nia Clark. Um, and she has a bonus episode that focuses on Peg Leg Taylor. So if you want to check into that. Did you have any black excellence? Yeah. So Michael K. Williams was sort of my, you know, show news and his activism. Mm-hmm. Um, black excellence. Bet. Um, so for most bases. Okay. Um, so if there is oh, one other thing as far as the show notes, um, depending on your platform, the show notes uh, sometimes the text might get cut off. So if there's ever an issue or you can't see the the show notes in their entirety, uh, and some of you have reached out to me via email and let me know, you can always find um, the complete listing 
um, if your platform doesn't show at the home site for the for our podcast, which is anchor.fm slash Lovecraft Country Companion. And and so if you you know whatever platform you're using, Apple Podcasts, um, Stitcher, what have you, if there's ever an issue or you can't, something is kind of cut out, you can always go to the uh, the website for the for our podcast and see everything in its entirety. Or feel free to reach out to me uh, or Kelly at Lovecraft Country Companion at gmail.com. Yay! Yeah. So thanks to everyone again for listening. And uh, we got one more to go. One see. more. I know, one more. Oh my gosh. Uh, so we'll see you next time for the finale episode 10. Bye.